Welcome to Basketball Buzz, the show that combines three great things, Ducky basketball, college basketball, and bourbon. I'm one of your three hosts, Arizona Terry. With me are Shay and Michael. Guys, how we doing? Not bad. I mean, uh, it's been, been a nice week. I'm off from work, so finally getting to enjoy some bourbon this week. So you have to be off from work to enjoy the bourbon? I, I must no, be I doing just... it wrong. <laughs> I just have been, uh, I've been, I, I'm sorry to report that I've been taking it easy with the bourbon intake after the colossal amount of bourbon that I consumed during the Thanksgiving holiday. And bourbon bottles everywhere are thankful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like tripping over bourbon bottles in his yeah. office trying to get to the computer to do the podcast. <laughs> hey, but you know, we got a great show tonight. We have one of our good friends back on the show, John Perrine. Welcome to Basketball Buzz again. Thank you for having me. And if folks don't know you, you've been on a previous show, but if they don't know you, can you just tell them about yourself and, you know, why you like Kentucky basketball and you're kind of, you're a hoop fanatic in general? Yeah, so uh, my dad was born in Ashland, Kentucky, and he's a UK alum, so he passed it on to me, and I'm a UK basketball fanatic, so pretty much the story but i uh i live here in uh, houston texas so i rep uh i re- i represent the university of kentucky quite well here in houston <laughs> absolutely and uh we got a great show tonight so we're obviously going to cover the michigan game in london we're going to look ahead to yale and ucla especially ucla since the basketball buzz crew is going to be there in new york city in on location. Madison Square Gardens. It's going to be awesome. Can't and wait then we're going to like have Shay and yeah, Shay, Michael, and John just kind of talk about the rest of college basketball. There's been a lot of upsets. There have been some top teams not looking like top teams. Just kind of cover some other stuff if we have time. But first, fellas, let's talk about bourbon because this show is all about bourbon and basketball. It's the buzz surrounding basketball news and it's the buzz we get when we talk about bourbon and we enjoy bourbon so um john you know it's customary that our guests go first could you please share uh, what you are drinking tonight i am drinking an ezra brooks with uh ginger ale so it's pretty good oh it's it's my favorite mixer i'm a big fan of the bourbon and ginger ale mixer it's one of my Mm -hmm. favorite go-to's I got to thank my cousin uh, Robert for it. So, shout out to he, Robert. Yeah, he. Uh, well, uh, Shay, he's the one we, we've talked to on Spaces. Oh, course. oh, nice. Okay, uh, I remember. Yeah, he uh, he turned me on to it. So, Ezra Brooks is a good bourbon. Uh, I've I've had recently the seven year, and it's it's out. I really like it. Shay, do you want to talk about what you're sipping on tonight? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sipping on the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Straight Bourbon. Um, I know it's a fairly popular bourbon. Surprisingly, I'm somewhat new to it, and I'm so glad that I, I have started drinking Woodford Reserve. Um, just a little bit of background. I'm sure many of our listeners know or are very familiar with Woodford Reserve, but from Brown Foreman Brewery in Bourbon County, Kentucky, um, it's about a 90-proof bourbon, heavily corn in the mash bill, 72% corn, 18% rye, 10% malted barley, 
um, aged in virgin American white oak, and it has a deep copper color. Uh, one of the things that I love about this bourbon is that it has a lot of citrus notes when you, when you drink it initially, and a bit of sweetness, almost like a marshmallow uh, that goes into citrus notes, and then it finishes with you know your traditional caramel, honey flavors, uh, and just a tad of spice. So I'm a huge fan of this bourbon. It's very easy to drink neat. I can see it being a cocktail as well, although I think it might get a little lost in the cocktail, unless that's what you're looking for. Um, it's a great all-around bourbon. It's even better sipper. I'm actually going to give it, drum roll, oh, here we I'm going to give it four and a half barrel out of five. And let wow. me just say, uh, no offense, nothing against Bullet, but I have been converted from a Bullet drinker to a Woodford Reserve drinker. So this is going to be my go-to bourbon from here on out. I love that it's somewhat light with the citrus notes, but it's still not, um, it's, it's still full bodied, which is great. So you don't feel like you're drinking something flat without any depth. You actually have something that's somewhat light at the same time. You get the best of both worlds. So I'm loving it. I'm, I love Woodford Reserve. I can't wait to try some of their other, other items and some of their, you know, their small batch bourbons and whatnot. Welcome to the fold, Shay. Yeah. You'll, you'll never go, you'll never go back once you have Woodford. And, uh, n- next step for you, uh, and Terry, you probably can agree with this. Uh, you'll go Woodford Double Oaks and you'll like it even more. Uh, I, I don't doubt it. All right, fellas, I am going to review Eagle Rare. So I've been having quite a bit of Eagle Rare lately and, um, you know, it's kind of hard to find because it, as soon as it gets into a, a shop or a liquor store, it sells out rapidly, at least here in Arizona. Um, this is a Buffalo Trace bourbon. It's 90 proof. It's aged 10 years. And you can find it in certain places like Costco, sometimes for like $29.99. <laughs> so a 10-year age bourbon for under 30 bucks. So it's kind of a killer deal. Um, what's cool about it? You know what? It has a kind of a sweet oakiness to it. It's not a, a very strong bourbon, but there's enough complexity that it's enjoyable. Um, when you look at all the, the Buffalo Trace bourbons, they use the same mash bill for like Buffalo Trace, Benchmark, E.H. Taylor Small Batch, Stag Jr., as well as for Eagle Rare uh, bourbon 10 years. So same mash bill. It is... 75% corn, 10% rye, 15% barley. Uh, it is kind of a chestnut color, kind of a lighter. It is really good. I like it. It's it's not going to knock your socks off. I would not consider it to be a top shelf bourbon, but it definitely has a nice, you know, corn mash, caramel, honey, vanilla flavor. Doesn't have a long finish. It's it's very very short, um, but Overall, it, it's pleasant bourbon. It's enjoyable. Um, and, you know, I think it's a step up from like Wild Turkey 101 and even Makers just based on being slightly more complex. But I don't want to say this is a, even though it's a 10-year age bourbon, it's not a top shelf bourbon. I mean, it's it's definitely a step up from a lot of the entry-level stuff. But for me, I think it's, I'm happy to drink it. It's priced well. I got this bottle for $39.99, which is kind of the normal price, unless you happen to get lucky and go to Costco like some guys did in Arizona 
yesterday on the bourbon group I'm a part of on Facebook. They, there's the Avondale Costco had 65 bottles for $29.99. It sold out in less than three hours. Like it just, people just buy up, man. So if you do see it at a Costco, you do see it somewhere, even if you're not really needing it, I would buy it because you might not see it again for a while and you will see some price gouging. Like I've gone in places where this bottle would be $75 or $80. Do not do that. It is not worth that kind of money. You can do, you, you can find a better bourbon for 80 bucks. So I'm going to give this a four on the bourbon scale based on the fact it is aged 10 years. There's some complexity to it, but it's not that crazy. And the price, I mean, it's it's pretty dang good. And I highly recommend it. Terry, I, I think we may be drinking a very similar bourbon. So tonight I'm sipping on a Russell's Reserve 10-year. And a lot of the things that you said really uh, ring true with this bourbon as well. Um, so this is a, a wild turkey uh, distillery bourbon. Uh, it's It's made in Lawrenceburg. The mash bill is almost identical to what you had. This one is 75% corn, a little higher rye content, 13 on the rye and 12 with the, the malted barley. Um, it's also a 90 proof. The MSRP for this bottle is 35 bucks. Um, however, you can't always find it everywhere you go out here in Denver, and there does tend to be some price gouging when you do. Um, I've seen this bottle uh, pretty regularly in the 50 to $60 range. Uh, fortunately for me, this was a gift from a friend, so I paid zero dollars and zero cents, which will factor highly into the bourbon barrel rating that we'll we'll notice later. Um, when you when you first crack it open on the nose, um, it's really a lot of baking spices. There's um, a, a little uh, wood and vanilla and maybe even a little cinnamon uh, that goes along with that. Uh, on the palate, it's pretty light. Um, I do get uh, some, some brown sugar, uh, some coffee. Uh, that smokiness is still there. Um, a, a bit of spice uh, with the rye content. Um, overall, it is still uh, very easily to sip on. I'm sipping with rocks. Um, I, I could also see this being in a cocktail um, at a 90 proof. I, I think you would still be able to pick up on uh, some of the complexity uh, associated with the bourbon itself. It does have a bit of a longer finish uh, for me. I, I was not uh, expecting that, uh, but that's definitely there. And there's uh, also some um, lingering hints of, of cinnamon and, and maybe some, some nutmeg as well. Uh, there is more complexity to, to this bourbon than I had anticipated. Um, and for the price, if you can get it at MSRP, I think this probably is a three and a half uh, on the bourbon barrel scale. Since I paid zero dollars and zero cents, we're going to bump it up to, uh, to to an even four. Um, I, I do like it. I don't often sip on bourbons that are uh, ten years uh, old or older, uh, but when I do, um, I'm glad that this one is in my home bar. So this is a bourbon that I have around all the time. It's it's pretty. Uh, much found at like our grocery store chains like Safeway. You can always find it there. Oh man, I'm so jealous. But it's priced more than what thirty five. It's more in the fifties. So okay. yeah, so you know, 
sometimes you just get, you know, you have to just bite the bullet and, and buy one. And, you know, I like to keep it around. I like wild turkey bourbons, and this is one of my favorites. This is good. The 13 is really good. And uh, I think I might do that one down the road on a bourbon review. But thanks for sharing that, man. That's a, that's a good, solid bourbon. It has, I th- you're right, it has good complexity to it. You know what they say is that the, the best bourbon in the world is free bourbon. Right? <laughs> I, I, I can vouch for that. I believe they're correct. <laughs> True, they are. They nailed it. Yeah, That's whatever true. whatever distillery is, is called free, free distillery, it's the best one. <laughs> mm. That's my favorite. Guys, let's switch gears and talk about hoops. And first thing let's just go over is the Kentucky versus Michigan game in London. So, you know, John and Shay, why don't you guys kind of open up the discussion? I've got some notes here. I'm just curious to get your take on the game. Yeah key players and your thoughts yeah well absolutely i think the first thing we need to talk about is that this was a game that was scheduled somewhat like two years ago and it definitely didn't have the hype surrounding it that it had once it was scheduled so um there was an opportunity for there to be a bit of a letdown um i don't know how well blue got in but it seems like there were at least a handful of fans there uh, in o2 arena in the historic O2 arena, but they did close off the top of the arena, so there was really just the lower bowl. And and then saying that, I think Michigan had an amazing roster last year, and I know some people will disagree, and John, definitely give your thoughts on this. I don't feel that Michigan is, outside of Hunter Dickinson, that great of a team, or great, they, that great of an opponent. So combining that, you know, they do have a name brand, but they weren't the team that we expected to face when this was scheduled. Um, but saying that a win is a win is a win. So it's great to come out with a win to build your resume, to build some confidence. I'm not taking too much from this game and overreacting. As I said, I, I'm going to stop all the overreact- overreacting. Um, but we, it was a big move in a positive direction. Specifically, the offensive execution was much better. The wrinkles in the offense were there. Sir Key guys stepped up, but still, from a broad overview, it makes me nervous because this game could have easily gone the other way. Um, John, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, first I'll add that my cousin uh, Robert, his uh, good friend, actually lives in London, and he went oh, to nice. the game, and uh, he said there weren't a ton of people there, which makes sense with the World Cup and everything. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of the game, I mean, I thought Kaysen was our best player. And he he shot the ball very well. That's something that is. I mean, he he was always a good shooter, but I didn't expect it. He's you know he's shooting about fifty percent from the three point line. Uh, Oscar had his moments, good and bad. I thought both on offense and defense. There's too many times where on offense that he uh, is missing shots around the rim, and especially against Bellerman, but. He had an okay game. I mean, 14 and 13 is nothing to complain about. I thought Jacob Toppin had a very good second half for us, and I think Cal gave him that, what is it, the belt? Belt, uh, yeah. He's the, been a, Jacob's been a second half merchant this entire season thus far. <laughs> he has. Gonzaga. He's been he sleepwalking. A, he had a good second half against Gonzaga, and then I believe Bellerman as well, so he played pretty well. And then, uh, I mean, Reese hit some big shots toward, uh, in the first half. He needs to get more touches. I think he only had nine field goal attempts. Kaysen 
had a very good shooting percentage. He needs to get more touches. And then the the one guy who needs to have less touches is Severe Wheeler. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just I gotta go pick, on a pick your rant. pick your points, right? <laughs> so I John, go John, on a rant forever, John, so. let me ask you a question um, in relation to Kaysen, because I know he's a Texas kid. You've been watching him. You've been banging his drum for however long, and you have been telling me for many years now that Kaysen is a serviceable, if not better, a good three point outside shooter. Where has this narrative that he cannot shoot the ball come from? Is it just that he's a defensive-minded guard, so people kind of assume that he's not a great three-point shooter? Or is it just because, oh, Kentucky got a guard, probably can't shoot threes? Um, where is this come well, from? He, he looks good shooting the three. He looked good in high school shooting the three. I mean, I think a lot of it is he. One thing, and for everyone that doesn't know, I'm not the biggest Severe Wheeler fan. <laughs> I I will give him credit. He is ha, he does pass well, and I think that is helping Kaysen with his catch and sh- you know catch and shoot. So I think that that helps his three point percentage is that he's getting good passes from Wheeler and he can just you know catch the ball and shoot. In terms of high school, yeah, he wasn't the best three point shooter, but his narrative that he couldn't shoot was, I mean, it, it was false. But I I, I believe Kaysen is best at point guard. And what I'd like to see is him attacking the rim more and then actually hitting his free throws, which is a whole <laughs> yeah. uh, another topic to discuss. Cause that's well, Mike, Micah will talk about that in a minute, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm, I'm uh, happy to address that Kaysen, when it comes, right? Uh, Kaysen's the best player on this team, and I think Kyle Tucker uh, wrote it best uh, or said it best on Twitter. They go as far as Kaysen will take us. And that is, uh, I believe that to, uh, 100%. So. And that man, he's definitely. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah. And he, I mentioned that he still hasn't been unleashed yet. And you're starting to see his, him start to get more comfortable. Uh, you could kind of tell the first few games I mentioned it on an earlier podcast that he still looks hesitant on offense, not because he, he isn't good. It's because he's still trying to understand what is allowed at this level and what he can and can't get away with, or what he can do at for against defenders at this level and what he can't do both, on both sides of the ball. And I think this was a big step. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him take that shy Gilgis Alexander level jump going into conference play because you remember him and maybe even Emmanuel quickly. That's when they really kind of took off, right? It was it really took that deep into the season and. So I'm expecting that from him because he is That's, a star. That is something that I've asked a couple of my friends and I've thought about long and hard is can Kaysen be that guy for Kentucky? And when I mean that guy, I everyone knows he can play defense. He can rebound. He can, you know, he had five assists against uh, Michigan on Sunday. So he can, you know, he can uh, pass the ball pretty well. My only question is, and in high school, you know, Kaysen wasn't known as this score. He could score, but I think Kaysen is best with averaging 14, 15 points, five, six assists, four or five rebounds with lockdown defense. Can he get you the 18, 17, 18, 19 points a game that I think he'll have to get in the SEC tournament? And in the NCAA tournament to lead us to a Final Four, that I still have questions about. And 
partly it's Cal's fault, partly it's not. Of course, the original plan was to bring Kaysen along with Shade Sharp, and Shade would have scored the 20 points per game, you know, close to it. But I, I, I do think for us to reach our ultimate goal, Kaysen's going to have to be the guy and score 17, 18 points a game toward, you know, SEC t- uh, tournament and NCAA tournament time. So that that's the only question I have. Do you think his style being so kind of calm and composed, can't he could be like a consistent player like that game in and game out? I kind of feel like he can because he could kind of score at three levels. And I his his shooting is better than I imagined it would be. I'm actually really surprised by it. And, and that three he hit with like a minute and 15 to go was, man, that was a big shot for anybody, especially a freshman. I just I have a lot of confidence in this guy. I mean, he's a great on-ball defender, but I think he probably is the best player we have on our team right now, outside of Oscar. Yeah, and he's he's a great oh, kid from a great a great kid from a great background. If you hear like the just kind of like the background that he's from, his parents are super hardworking people, kind of instilled that into him. So I think he can. I think it's it, it's a lot to ask from him right now. He's still figuring himself out at this level, but his next step will be to take over the team take over the leadership of the team and use that as fuel moving into SEC play. Well, uh, Terry, I, uh, I think he's better. I think he's our best player, including Oscar Sheboy. I just, you know, Oscar defensively and uh, concerns me. And I'll be honest, the numbers look good for Oscar this year, but and I, I listened to uh, the Sources Say podcast and, Sean uh, Smith and uh, Jack Pilgrim, they, they both agreed that something's a bit off with Oscar, and granted he had surgery, but uh, I agree. I, I yeah. think Kaysen is the best player. He's the lottery pick, and the, the team needs to revolve around him, not Oscar. Oscar needs to notice in, against Michigan, he, he got 14 and 13, but he wasn't forced. They didn't force feed him the ball. Thank and you. Kentucky force feeds him the ball like they did against Michigan State. They lose. We lose. And we will, we will continue to lose if we have that philosophy offensively. It was the same thing last year. I, I, I brought up maybe, uh, maybe it was to Shay and, uh, our own, uh, group message on, uh, Twitter. But if you look at the games last year that Kentucky played very well in Kansas, North Carolina, and Tennessee, when we beat them by close to 30 points at Rupp, Oscar didn't have his best games. So. No. And they, and they then, won by 20 in all those games. So, and then I Arkansas, St. Peter's, or the other yep. games where we relied heavily on Oscar. Everyone ends up kind of ball watching him, watching him work. And it, it's great because he gets the points, but then it kind of takes the offense out of the flow. And I, I absolutely agree that he's, he's not looked the same. I think, uh, Cal Perry had a, a tweet earlier today or a comment that he is running about 85% right now. And that doesn't surprise me. His conditioning doesn't look there. His verticality doesn't look there. And he's been significantly worse. Not that he was ever a great defender. He was kind of just great at poking the ball out. He just hasn't been a great defender at all this year. And um, I think it was either uh, Sean Vinsel who had the breakdown about um, the difference between Ugo in the game and, and Oscar in the game. And Oscar doesn't make the other team think about the PNR defense. Like the other team can easily pass it over him, pass it around him. Ugo was able to 
position himself in a way that he was able to guard both defenders guard and guard the role. And he's an elite shot blocker. I'm not advocating that Ugo play over Oscar. I'm just saying that getting him more minutes would be ideal. And the team, it might not be a coincidence that the teams look really good offensively and defensively when Ugo has been in the game. It, it's not by mistake for sure. I could tell a big difference. I mean, the, the game in general against Michigan, the one thing I really enjoyed was there was minimal or less defensive breakdowns than we saw in other games. And there was a lot more movement. Like guys, guys were moving. CJ kept moving. He kept moving around. You know, that to me, that's like progress. And I'm happy to see that free throw shooting though was pretty terrible. Michael, tell me about your thoughts about free throw shooting in, in basketball. You know, guys, uh, you're you're standing 15 feet away. There's there's nobody guarding you. There's nobody in your face. It's literally outside of a layup, the easiest shot that you can shoot. It's not too far away so that it becomes <laughs> a jump shot. It's not it's not uh, the true mid range game where you may want to have a little floater in the lane instead. It's an easy shot. It's just an easy shot. Here's what I don't understand. I don't understand how Kentucky can go 10 for 20 at the free throw line against Michigan. I really don't. They shot better from the three-point line. You may say that is uh, just one game. But what if I told you that Casey Wallace shoots 53% from the field, 50%, as John already noticed, from three-point range, but only 50% at the free-throw line. Wheeler's not much better. It's one thing when your bigs don't hit free-throws because sometimes, like, that's just part of the game. We understand the mechanics behind that. Uh, You know, Shaq couldn't hit a free-throw. It it, it can be tougher when your hands are, you know, monster-sized. I get that. But the people that are going to have the ball in their hand throughout the majority of the game, especially at the end of the game, are your guards. They have to be able to hit free throws at a high rate. That they, they just have to. And um, as a team, Kentucky shooting, I think about 68%, which is not horrible, but the timing of missed free throws. I mean, there's never a good time for a missed free throw, but we missed, what was it, three toward the end of that Michigan game. And stressed me out so bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the bourbon had to be flowing then because as a fan, it stresses us out. As a player, you're looking at that, and as a player and as a coach, you're realizing that um, the other team is able to elongate this game. Like, that part of being able to be uh, good at closing out games isn't just being able to hit shots or to get defensive stops. It's to be able to go to the free throw line and hit both. It's to be able to go to the free throw line when you have a one-and-one, and and at a minimum, hit that front end. This team, to date, has not really shown an ability to do that consistently, and it's puzzling with what seemingly is a roster of really good shooters. I mean, Kentucky has kids that can shoot from pretty much anywhere on the floor, and I'm not just talking from the three-point line. So um, how that's working, I'm not sure, but it is troubling. Um, if I was Cal, um, I would I would lock a lot of the players up in Joe Craft Center, <laughs> and I would say you guys aren't coming out until you can hit 
at least 7 out of 10. And if you're a ball handler, you need to be able to hit 75 out of 100 or 8 out of 10. That, that's yep. my thought. I have I, I, I have a hot take for, for you guys. Oh. I trust Ugana Kingsley right now on the free throw line. More <laughs> did, than did you, Wheeler. What did Not he do? Him. What did he do, John? He, he well, stood up there and he, he nailed he him. Made, he made two free throws. Uh, I like, I've always liked Damian Collins shooting on the, from the free throw line. He, he, he has a good uh, form. I, I trust Oscar Foster more than I do Wheeler. Now, Kaysen's only a freshman in his last, you know, you know, he's only played seven, eight games, but Wheeler, he's proven himself that he can't hit free throws. Uh, well, same thing he, against Frank Peters. Yeah, but he wasn't a bad free throw shooter on the season last year, which is surprising. 62% I'm wondering, in this season. Yeah, which mm. is bad. 78% last season. But I will say, without having to spend the entire podcast discussing free throws, which is the equivalent <laughs> of like talking about it. what can, Kentucky Iowa's <laughs> offensive game is going to be during that football game. Um, I think that there there comes a difference between you know you playing fast, you're hitting shots um, in the course of the game, and free throws force you to slow down and slow down and take that shot. And shout out to uh, you know the two different types of thinking: fast thinking and slow thinking. Shout out to Daniel Kahneman if you know who that is, Michael. Uh, maybe yeah. you've heard of him. He's a big guy in business. Um, that may be the reason why. Free throws are being missed right now, but you're right. It definitely needs to be improved if the season wants to go forward and if we want to make a deep run into the tournament. Maybe the freaking rims in London are too tight. I don't know. Maybe we'll just <laughs> the fluke in on Saturday versus Yale will hit like ninety percent and then we'll all shut the fuck up about free throws, hopefully. Let's hope let's, so. Let's stop breaking down some other things. But Shay Shay put together a good little list here. I'm gonna go through this and get your guys' take on it. Okay, first thing. Is Jacob Toppin good enough? And whoever wants to take that, just take it and run with it. All right, I'll start. Is he good enough right now? Probably not, but I think he's been better lately. I think uh, I'm more of a fan of him than Shay from what we've talked about. No, no, I love Jacob Toppin. We, we, I do too. We're, we're, we're yeah. Toppin fans, but we, we, we criticize if necessary. Yeah. I, I guess well, my question would be, how would you want to utilize Jacob the best to get the best from That's him? a great question. I think he's hesitating on his jump shots a little too much. Uh, he Definitely. needs to probably take less threes. He's only shooting, I believe, 17%. But he needs to continue attacking the rim. I mean, he's averaging 14 points in his last four games, and most of those are coming in the second half when, you know, it's clutch time. So I think, uh, you know, I think he's progressing. I think, you know, he, like, almost everyone on the team, you know, still hasn't hit their, you know, peak uh, so far. But I think he's progressing. I'm not, I'm not, you know, criticizing too much. And, uh, you know, I've seen this debate if Chris Livingston would be a better power forward than Jacob Toppin. And while I think Chris Livingston, that's his best position, I am. Not willing to say he'd be better than Jacob Toppin as a four. I, I but, don't believe. But, but would you put Livingston at the four as a substitute for Toppin? Absolutely, yes. That's okay. that's where he his he, he would be best served, especially uh, when you have a point guard that can't shoot. Shay, what's your thoughts? So that's a great question, and I do. By the way, I've been I've been on the Jacob Toppin hype train for a long time. And I'll say this, surprisingly, Jacob Toppin has lived up to my expectations 
offensively. Yes, he hasn't shot the ball well yet percentage wise, but I don't, I feel comfortable that he can knock down a few given the chance. Um, I actually applaud him for not taking a high volume of three point shots. I thought at this point in the season that he would probably take more. If you ask me in the summer, he probably has taken more jump shots than make me comfortable, but to his credit, he's knocked down quite a few. So offensively, I'm actually encouraged. I think he can play better and better. It's very difficult on a team that has a lot of options to make him happy. You know, if he was on a, a lesser team, you might see more of, of his of his offense used. I agree with John that he needs to be attacking the basket first and then settle for those jumpers, but it's hard to complain when he's knocking the jumpers down. But I will say where he has room for growth, and I never thought I would be saying this, is that I think he has room to grow defensively. Because last season in his limited minutes, he was an outstanding defender. He really had a lot of highlight reel plays. Um, and, you know, those, those don't always show up on the box score the way you want them to, but they really energize the team. I don't know how many times last season he had like a giant block that the ball went the other way. Someone else scored, but it really energized that team. I'm not seeing that from him this year. And I'm thinking he's just too focused in offensively. Um, there are a few game, a few plays during the Michigan's game where Jet Howard scored on him, where I didn't think yeah. Jet Howard would be able to do that. And Kaysen came in and locked Jet Howard down. And I was like, yeah, there's no reason that a six, eight, six, nine guy like, like Jacob Toppin, who's a senior is having trouble with a good player, Jet Howard, but still a freshman. Um, yeah. So I want to see Jacob Toppin combine his offensive ability with that junkyard dog mentality that he had before with that, those highlight blow up defensive plays. Um, that's what the difference between him and Keon Brooks is. Um, cause Keon Brooks was hitting mid range jumpers last year too, was a yep. decent offensive player when he wasn't handling the ball, but didn't bring the same effort and intensity that Jacob did defensively. So that's what uh, I'm looking guys, for from Jacob Toppin. Guys, Ke- Keon Brooks doesn't want us to talk about him anymore. So we're, <laughs> we're just, we're just going to have to be quiet about that. All right. I, I've, I've got a hot take for you. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to say that uh, Jacob Toppin is progressing, but I'm actually going to blame Severe Wheeler for Jacob Toppin's um, inability to uh, come at us with a better field goal percentage. And, okay. and here's why. Uh, I, I've noticed that Toppin shoots, when, when he shoots his jump shots, it's usually because either we're at the end of the clock cycle, and he has to, or he's open. Well, why is he open for a jump shot? He's open for a jump shot oftentimes because guards, whether it's Wallace or especially Wheeler, are able to get the ball up the floor quickly to him, or they're able to get in the lane and kick it out to him. He's got an open jump shot. You, If you're on the floor, you have to be able to take an open jump shot. So he does. Sometimes he hits it, sometimes he doesn't. But I, I think it's almost um, to his detriment that he's found himself with so many open looks because it's easy to take an open 15, 17-foot jump shot instead of getting the ball into the lane, getting at least further, uh, closer to the basket, maybe even dribbling in and being able to post up. Um, I think he, he's taking what's being given to him, and that is both the sign of a good point guard that is able to get people good open looks, but it also could be detrimental when kids aren't able to you know, hit those open looks at a higher clip. And I think sometimes it, 
it can borderline on being offensively lazy by not taking uh, an extra dribble or two, not advancing the ball further. Uh, because you know, at a minimum, if you're open from 15 or 17, and especially if you got a wingspan like like Toppin, you can dribble the ball once or twice, and you can get in the paint close to to the hoop, and you should be able to at least draw a foul. And while that may not pay immediate dividends, uh, that may pay more dividends later in the game. So I, I like Jacob Toppin's game. I like where he is. I think he's got a lot of uh, potential, a lot of ability. But I'd like to see him uh, maybe spend a little bit more time working on the jump shot in practice and in game scenarios, um, look for opportunities to get closer to the bucket. Did y'all think that was a charge call? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. Not that even that. That was a that was bullshit not a call. Correct. Bullshit call. Call. Yep. I, I'm a huge Jacob Toppin fan. I mean, I am like a fanboy, I guess you could say. I'm the anti Scott Clark. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like I look at him, and I'm like, he has all the measurables. He's explosive, but I want him around the rim more. And I want more consistency. I don't want a shitty first half, then Cal rips yeah. into his ass at halftime. He comes out second half and he has 14 points or whatever. I want more consistency. Plus, Shea is right. Like, last year he was more of a defensive dude. He would block shots and, I don't know, he, he has not shown that explosiveness. I want to see that, especially in SEC play. So, Jacob, just he, do he, a little he, bit more. He hung out with too many NBA dudes in the offseason. And, and worked out with them, and that's why the mid-range jumper is looking so good, but the def- d- defense has gone out the door. <laughs> but that mid-range looks damn good, I, yeah, and, I hate, and I hate long, too. Yeah, I don't, who was he working out with in the offseason, like his brother, and there were a few Paul other George. NBA, Paul George, yeah, so there we go, that makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> does make more sense now. Alright, let's move on to the next topic. Let's talk about Chris Livingston. He's, you know, he's a freshman, he's kind of Trying to find his way. You see a little burst of stuff there with Chris. Like, <laughs> how are we going to use Chris right now? What's the best way to use him to kind of get his full potential? Give me your thoughts, guys. I think he's best used, like I said earlier, as a power forward. I think he could be great as a power forward on this team with, I guess you can include Wheeler as the point, Wallace as the two, Reeves or Frederick at the three. Uh, he potentially can play the three if, in my opinion, only if Kaysen is the point guard and Wheeler is out of the game because Wheeler can't shoot, Livingston can't shoot. And I brought this up to Shea the other day. I think his draft stock, quite frankly, stinks right now. If I were Cal, I would recruit Livingston back next year start him at the power forward with Edwards as the small forward, and then, of course, Wagner and Dillingham. And I think that would be a one heck of a lineup. But for this team, more minutes of the power forward and maybe spot minutes at small forward with two shooters around him. But not a stretch forward. I think I think he's a very good shooter when his feet are set and he, he has a good, uh, you know, when it's a good pass. I did. I, yeah, he can he's shoot. Worked, he's worked on the three point shot, and as you see from the corner, he's been able to hit and knock him down. Um, but he's being forced to kind of play out of position. Um, he definitely needs to work on his ball handling a bit. 
I'm still really high on Chris Livingston. I think he's a very good player. I don't know how much of an NBA player he is at this point. I know a lot of his draft stock is just based on him being such a highly relate, highly rated recruit at this level, at this young as he is. If I'm Chris Livingston and I'm Cal, I don't know. I might even ask him to stay multiple years, like maybe even three or four years, because I think he has all the intangibles, body type, style of game to be one of those guys that is a dominant dominant college basketball player by the time he's a junior um you know kind of like an ap all-american type player kind of like dylan brooks was or was it oregon that he played for a guy that you know rebounds uh can shoot the shot when he needs it will just kind of be a catalyst for the offense um you know not going to be a huge scorer but just someone that is brings effort and intensity because by that time in his career he'll know who he is and, yeah. you know, th- guys like those, you know, they sneak into the first round at the end of the first round for a team that needs that needs instant impact defenders um, and like a three or a three and D guy. I think that's his ticket, because I'm afraid that if he tries to go to the NBA right now, it won't be good for him because there are a million and, a, and one guys that are good enough to be in the NBA that can do what he does at this point. So. It might be better for his long-term development to stay in college longer, in my opinion. Well, Shay, I uh, I have a hot take for y'all. Okay. And well, that's what we're all about. <laughs> this person, we, we kind of like person, This person's gone through a lot. So, but I'd rather have Chris Livingston come back next year than Damian Collins. Oh yeah, no, no question. I we don't yeah. think Damian Collins we, is a power forward. He's a center, and then you already have Bradshaw and Uganda. Kings leading yeah. on that, so next year. So I, you know, that's a whole topic for a different day with Damien. I just, I, I'm not seeing necessarily the fit, uh, next year and not, even on this year's team. To me, he cannot play powerful. Actually, John, we're going to talk about Damien right now. Like, what, what is Damien's current role in this team? Where does he fit in? What's your thoughts on it? Well, I think he needs to play center. The problem is Oscar's playing center. And I'm giving as many minutes to Uganda Kingsley on Yenzo as possible because what I've seen from him, oh my gosh, right? next dude, year dude. and wow, oh, yeah. like he he's the most talented center on this roster. Uh, I take him over Collins, like a true center, a true center. Yes, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I know his offense isn't, you know, his his offense is better than I thought. That. uh yeah. That layup he had against, um, I think, offensive rebound uh, layup against Michigan was quite impressive. He is a good free throw uh, stroke, but his defense, oh my gosh! Like, and we we, him and we haven't even seen, yeah, we haven't even seen him run the floor yet because that was one of the great parts about when he was at uh, Putnam Science. Like, he would run the floor. Putnam Science ran a really high, fast-paced offense. They would get up and down the court. And he ran the court really well, and he had great hands for a guy that, quote unquote, probably hadn't been playing basketball that long. I was super impressed. Um, if you just, can I add my two cents? It's just that I agree. Like yeah. he, long term potential, NBA potential. Uganda Kingsley has it over Oscar Shibway. He's been dealing with limited minutes. He's supposed to be a high school senior. Um, I don't see how Damian plays over Uganda Kingsley. I think Kingsley just brings way more to the table at this point. And of course, Damien's got, you know, his family issues going on and, and the death of his father, and that's horrible. And I don't know if he's, it's really fair to the kid to kind of throw him in at this point. 
and ask him to play significant minutes. Uh, and like you said, next year's team, I don't see how he get he needs to get minutes even over Adu Diero, who I feel that really brings more. Um, and back to Kingsley, like he has a bright future compared to a lot of the bigs that were ranked ahead of him in the class yeah. that he reclassified into, by the way. He reclassified into this class. There has been maybe two that are better than him. And I say maybe because they played more minutes than him. But maybe given if he was given the same amount of minutes, he would outperform them. And that's probably Khalil Ware and Ernest Uday Jr. at Kansas. But I feel pretty confident with more minutes, Kingsley's better than Uday Jr. He's been better than Adem Bona, who's playing like 30 minutes a game, 20, 25, 30 minutes a game at UCLA, who's been absolutely dog shit, if I can say that. Um, he's been better than sure you just did. Derek he Lively. He just did. Yeah, he's been better than Derek Lively, who's been a huge letdown. And he hasn't been better than Filipowski, but Filipowski's really a power forward. So, yeah, Kingsley has been a steal for Kentucky. He's been amazing. And, and well, you see, uh, you're gonna go, to. yeah, you're gonna going against Dickinson. I mean, he's a first team All American, and that yeah. kid did not. Grown like, man. Grown 22 year old grown man. And yes, you, Hunter was able to go through Uganda in certain cases that he wasn't able to go through Oscar, but there were a couple plays there where, you know, Uganda made Hunter Dickinson think. And now keep in mind, this is an 18 year old freshman, should be a high school senior against a 22 year old four year starter that is an all American who's 7'1, 265 pounds and should be probably at the end of an NBA roster this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, and guys. Even with Hunter Dickinson scoring those points, that's a learning experience for Uganda, and that's going to be huge on next year's team when he's getting 25 minutes plus. And that and was this, a learning experience that Cal didn't let him have against Gonzaga and Drew Timmy. Who knows how that would have played out, but I, I feel like uh, Uganda was able to get in the game, get the experience, uh, and actually play pretty well. Um, I mean, he had a block. He got a couple of boards. He he didn't shit the bed. He actually played pretty well. And I really wish that Cal would have had enough confidence in him versus Gonzaga to let yeah. him at least try that for one or two defensive sets against Timmy. That didn't happen. Yeah, Michael, uh, to be honest, if uh, Lance Ware doesn't see the floor again this season, I, I won't be I John, 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 Shay, and Michael. Why did Cal? Why did Cal put Lance in for that one fucking play? <laughs> why the fuck did he do that? It's like he Cal he, sub Cal. he substitutes yeah. based on a gut instinct. Yeah. Dude, just watch the game. Uganda is doing fine, and not only offensively, like I mentioned earlier. Granted, Hunter Dickinson is Hunter Dickinson, who's like kind of like the shack of college basketball, almost like kind of like Zach yeah. Eady, where he's going to get points. But when when Uganda Kingsley's in the game, when Ugo's in the game, you really see his defensive instincts, the way that he positions himself uh, on pick and rolls, which is a lot of what basketball is, is just pick and rolls. Um, yeah. The way he positions himself, it's not an easy score for the, for, for the offense. And then when he's in the game, our offense seems to click a little bit better than it does when Oscar's in the game. From what I've seen, it's my feeling. I don't know the stats on that. I don't, I'm not, I don't know the, I'm not the analytics nerd, but Me I should neither. be, but yeah, but it feels like the other players kind of step up. Um, 
in in the Bahamas. We look really good without Oscar because of Kingsley. Um, and then he is a, from what I've been told, a Nerlens Noel level shot blocker given the minutes. He is the best shot blocker since Nerlens Noel at Kentucky, and it's part of the reason he's a big part of the reason why I'm not just a little. I am a lot more excited about next year's Kentucky team than this year's because there's one NBA player on this team, and that's Casey Wallace. There's four to five next year, and Kingsley's one of those, in my opinion. I mean, he yeah. may not be uh, two and done, uh, two and done, but there's you know there's a lot more NBA talent on next year's team with Wagner, Edwards, Dillingham, Bradshaw. So- and Kingsley, so. Can I ask, can I ask go, you a question? Yep. So Global Scouting on Twitter was asking this question, and there seems to be no one really knows. Is he draft eligible, and would he go? Everyone says no, he wouldn't go, but is he draft eligible? Because he is one year removed, by the time of the draft, will be one year removed of his high school graduation, technically, and he I, will be 19 in the calendar year of the draft. So is he draft eligible? I don't know the answer to that, but I would... I think he might be, yeah. He very well could be, but I wouldn't expect him gone. I, I, I think. I mean, I really think he's poised for a super breakout year next year, and yeah. it's definitely going to be interesting uh, to see the how Cal splits the minutes with Bradshaw or Kingsley, or how he doesn't split the minutes by playing them both and Bradshaw <laughs> I, I, I love that John John's looking forward to next year, but I'm like, John, I want to go to Houston this year and sleep, yeah. on, your, sleep on your couch. So <laughs> let's hey, remain hey, positive. Hey, hey, even if we don't you guys, even if we don't uh, make the final four this year, y'all are more than welcome to come to Houston for the McDonald's All American game to watch four uh, future Wildcats. Ooh, you know oh what? yeah right. oh, good call. You, oh, yes. You're getting a free dinner on out of that man. Yeah. <laughs> We're coming. We're coming. All right. One more topic in this, and we'll move on. Let's talk about CJ Slump versus Reeves. What do you guys think? I mean, is CJ in a slump? Is he not being utilized properly? Is he not using screens properly? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, I, I guess I'll start again. I am. It's not that I'm not a fan of CJ. I think they're almost too dependent on him. Okay. And I say that because they really have four guards. One of them is Severe Wheeler, who I don't think is that good, as you all know. The best lineup, in my opinion, really should be Kaysen at the one, Reese as one of the other guard spots, and then either Frederick or hot take here. I, I want a new Thiero playing more minutes. But CJ needs to be, in my opinion, a 15-minute guy who's efficient when he's on the floor. But to me, in order for us to reach where we want to go, there needs to be less minutes uh, from Severe Wheeler and more minutes with CJ. Yeah. And I think they're, they're too dependent on him. Again, I think he's good in a role, but this team is missing a Shaden Sharp, a Nick Smith, a Brandon Miller, Terrence Shannon type. Terrence Jr., yeah. <laughs> but but, but can, they don't can, make, can, Kaysen, can Kaysen fill that void? Fill the void as point guard? Or no, 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 it's a, 
No, it's I a don't score. know because like a, a go to guy because he's not like a high volume microwave scorer. Reeves is technically that guy, but he's a mid major transfer. But he's 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 still a damn good transfer. Yeah, but he is. He, he, you you bring in a, a microwave scorer like him, and you don't give him the ball, and you make him a spot up shooter. How much points is he really going to score that way? Because he's really dependent. He's scoring this many points on just spot up threes that he gets in the flow of the game. He's but not. See, yeah, I mean, I agree, but also, you know, the the problem with the way Kentucky's roster was constructed was that if Sharp had been ineligible or somehow come yeah. back, he would have taken the spot. He would have Reeves wouldn't have come. Now. Sharp's probably better than Reeves, I would say. But yeah. you're still having the same issue where you're playing Wheeler way too many minutes and then Frederick has to play more minutes than you think because Chris Livingston, as we've mentioned here uh, a couple of minutes ago, isn't really a three. So it's almost like this team has too many power forwards and <laughs> not enough guards. Oh, we've heard that before. Uh that was basically Shea, uh, Shea Alexander's team, except Shea was a awesome know, guard, awesome, yeah. awesome guard, and you know Hamidou Diallo. And well, Hamidou Diallo was uh, you know a good guard. He didn't have his best year, but they also had Kevin Knox that <laughs> this team doesn't have. Uh, if this team had Kevin uh, Kevin Knox type, or even if this team had Justin Edwards. A player like Justin Edwards, they'd probably make the final four. But. Isn't that funny, John? That it's always like every year, it's like, oh, if we had just one piece, or we're, oh, we're one year away. It's like if, every year, it kind of is like that. If everybody else it's steps been that up way and plays, since, yep. Ever it's been forever. that way, in my opinion, really since Fox's year. I, I, yeah. I mean, uh, Miles yeah. Bridges was that guy yeah. in yeah. seventeen, where I was like, okay, if we had him, <laughs> we're it, not. Losing much. So. If if everybody steps up and plays the way that they're supposed to play, then Ugo is the player that we were supposed to be one player away. He'll be that player. If everybody else was playing the way they're supposed to play, but they're not, that's the problem. Not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and guys, I'm still on the CJ Frederick bandwagon. Um, I am too. 30, he's shooting 36% from three, severe shooting 35%. I, I say it's it's in part a slump. Um, I will echo uh, John's sentiments. I, I I would love for uh, CJ to only be playing 15 minutes a game, um, and I, I would love for him to focus on uh, the shots in transition. I feel like the a half court game isn't suited for what his skill set is. Um, I, I think to to the team's credit, he's been able to get some open shots as a result of uh, penetration and, and kickouts, and I think that that's good. But ideally, he would be the guy who sprints out to the wing on the, the break, and somebody would be able to find him and get him an open look, and that's how he would score. Um, I think the more minutes he gets, the, the less I'm convinced that Kentucky is actually going to be uh, in a position to, to run and gun, and that's what I want this team to do. I, I want the Cats to be fast and efficient, Get the ball down the court as quickly as possible. Set up, shoot a three. I mean, th this is you know, this is where we are with metrics now. You shoot a three, or you get the ball in the paint. I, I, as much as I love a good mid-range jump shot, um, the statistics tell us that's really not where it's at. 
So I think Cal has to continue to evolve as a coach, not only from the X's and O's perspective, but also from a recruiting perspective to know who these pieces are that are going to fit together. And guys, he's got maybe one of the most difficult coaching jobs in the country because yeah. from year to year, he doesn't know necessarily. I mean, there's always a projection, but he doesn't know who's coming back. He doesn't know how many people are coming back. And he has to reload and restock every single year. That gets fatiguing. You get coaches that uh, can count on guys coming back for uh, a junior and a senior year. Um, the amount of recruiting that they have to do is, in my mind, less. And um, you don't have to worry about missing out on the one piece because they all grow to be juniors and seniors together. But this team doesn't have that ability, even though there are pieces on this year's squad who came back from last year. Michael, yeah. uh, the the backcourt recruiting needs to, and it, it, and it has for 23, but it needs to improve dramatically. Agreed. We have not had an elite point guard Long since Shay Alexander. Yep. Uh, now, Shay's not the hugest Hagen's fan, but I'd take Hagen's over <laughs> Sylvia Wheeler. But let me just, you know, go through this. Hold here. on, hold on. I am not a Hagen's uh -oh. fan either. Well, <laughs> off the court, I am not a fan. I would take him over Sylvia Wheeler on the floor in a heartbeat. Ooh. But not, not I, even. I, I was in Kansas City when. Hagen's had eight turnovers versus Auburn, and that was one of the worst experiences I've ever had as a UK fan. It was terrible. Right, but uh, just overall, though, uh, you know, the last couple of years we've had our favorite player, uh, Devin Askew, recruited. Askew. We've had uh, Davion Mintz. We have had point, point uh, taken, John. Point taken. We've had Wheeler. <laughs> I mean, we've had three or four of these players that really shouldn't be in a Kentucky uniform. And uh, part of the problem with Frederick and Wheeler, and even last year, was overall, I want Wheeler off the floor. But like last year, I'd rather have Severe Wheeler against North Carolina than Davion Mintz. Uh, yeah. Because I didn't feel like Mintz was that great of a player. But then... You know, you have to, as good as Severe Wheeler was against North Carolina and, and Tennessee at home, he he had games, uh, you know, against St. Peter's where it was super hard to watch, and I was almost wanting Devin Askew back as my point guard. <laughs> Same thing this year. Oh, when, John, I love you, John. Frederick, <laughs> when Frederick is not making shots, would I rather have Severe Wheeler near his best than if CJ is in there not making shots? Yeah, probably, but yeah. does that work at some points? Yes, and it's really why. Uh, not gonna lie to you, I'm counting down the days till Severe Wither gets off. Of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so if we, what is our perfect vision for Wheeler? Is it like you only take two threes a game, Wheeler? That's it, no more. And you well, like run like hell on the break and kick it out to our, you know, CJ and Reese for threes. That's about people, it, right? He. He should play 20 minutes a game, 15, okay. 20 minutes a game. Kaysen is a primary point with okay. Reeves and then a combo of Frederick for 15 minutes. And then I, I've told Shay they need to play a Duthiero. Yeah. I think he, he has ball skills. He can defend and he's yeah. going to be, he's going to be a, a piece for next year. And again, like Cal's done well with playing Uganda minutes, I think he needs to do the same with Thierry, and he's yeah. uh, a, a better shooter 
So that yeah. would be my, uh, that would be how I, agree. I would construct it is their, uh, play a do some, play CJ some, and then yeah, you can play, you know, Wheeler 20 minutes a game, but you're not going many, you're not yeah. advancing far in the tournament if Wheeler hey. 35 minutes. And, yep. and those minutes that Wheeler plays, he needs to just go balls to the wall, defensive blow up, blow up defensive plays, you know, just go crazy. A lot of things will be fixed with this team if they play fast. But for yes. some reason, John no. Calipari no. refuses to do this because he's, uh, I guess, afraid of giving up baskets or he's, he's afraid that there are going to be more foul calls. If you play fast, Severe Wheeler is excellent. If you play yes. half court offense, Severe Wheeler is horrible. If you play fast, you cover up defensive inabilities of CJ Frederick and you get to utilize his really great three point shooting. And Reeves yes. loves playing fast too. Jacob Toppin has blow up plays if if you play fast. So you gotta press more. You gotta speed up the game by pressing early. Not when you're down sixteen to Gonzaga. That I can understand. But when you're up or when it's the beginning of the game, come out yes. with the press. You have a deep roster for once. You know, you could utilize that. And so that's what I want to see. I want to seem to play fast. The good news is, is in a tournament setting, the games usually tend to be higher tempo. I don't yeah. know why, but they I do. Know. Yeah, I think I think in the tournament time, the t- the coaches are less um, less involved in coaching and and in kind of drawing up plays, and they kind of let their team take the reins from there. I think uh, was it <laughs> again Sean Vinsel who said Kentucky looks good when John Calipari stops coaching. Oh, shut up, Sean. Ouch. That's a mean take. You wonder why, though, they played so well in the Bahamas. Hmm. They were <laughs> John, they were loose. They were loose. They were loose. Exactly. Guys, uh, for, from, a Ken, from a Ken Palm perspective, Kentucky ranks 93rd in the nation in um, uh, uh, adjusted tempo. They're averaging 70 possessions a game. So... Uh, you know, it wouldn't take much to go from 70 to maybe 74, 75. Okay. And I think that if we're going to talk, you know, like a, a midseason or, or a quarter season tweak, um, th- that would be my choice for a quarter season tweak is do whatever is necessary to get another four, five, six possessions a game. Because like everybody has said, it opens up so much from a from the perspective of our kids can do what they do best. Yeah. And I, I think that's you know that's always a question if, if uh to, to go to a baseball analogy, if you're a fastball pitcher and you have a, a fast a, a hitter that specializes in hitting the fastball, I if if I'm the pitcher, um I'm gonna out I'm gonna outduel you and I'm gonna do it by doing what I do best and throwing my fastball. I'm not going to try to second guess things or to get cute or fancy by throwing a curveball. If my best pitch is a fastball, even if that's what you hit best, I'm going to be I'm throwing it in my ability exactly. to throw that speedball by you. And yeah, I don't know if Cal's there yet. You know, I'm uh, getting back to CJ, and I'm going to sound like a, a big stat nerd here, but I wonder how he's shooting the ball with and without Severe Wheeler in the lineup. Because <laughs> we get it, John. We get it, John. We we understand it. With real, you know, you can defenders can sag off a wheeler. It's why uh, last year I told Shay and I told others 
Frederick being out hurt a lot because if you had Ty Ty, Grady, and Frederick, yep, as your one, two, and three, you you had to guard all of them. It's why next year, if Frederick were to come back, you're not going to be able to sag off of uh, Dillingham and Wagner. Uh, defenders won't be able to do that. You can with Wheeler. So I'm I'm curious, uh, and I'm and this has nothing to do with my dislike for Wheeler, but I am curious how that plays into his, his lack of shooting. Uh, well, I won't say lack of shooting. He's hitting 36, 37 well, percent like, from three. Well, yeah, how do you get the ball? How do you receive the ball? Is it Wheeler's doing a poor job of that? I don't know. Again, it, it's just something from a you know, stat nerd perspective. <laughs> we should look at it closely throughout the season. <laughs> All right, guys, let's let's roll into our next two games. Yale and UCLA. So, Yale, obviously, an Ivy League school. They're actually pretty hard-nosed. They've had two losses this season. One was Colorado by three. And CU actually beat Tennessee on a neutral court. So that tells me Yale's pretty decent. Then they got beat by 10 by Butler. They got kind of manhandled inside. And they didn't shoot pretty well. So what are your thoughts about Yale? I mean, obviously... We should handle them pretty well at Rupp. It's a pretty good win if we win. Any thoughts about it? I'll take this one first. So, uh, Yale has played well. Uh, they played well because they are an above-average defensive team. Yep. Uh, they rank in the top 60 in Ken Palm's adjusted uh, defense. So, they can come at you that way. Um, they do play uh, a number of kids. Um, what what I think Kentucky is going to be able to do against Yale is uh, kind of flex their athleticism. Um, Yale probably isn't uh, going to beat you with hitting twenty threes. So I, I, I get I get the feeling that this is a game that Kentucky is probably going to win pretty comfortably. I, I get that feeling. Um, it may be a lower scoring game. Uh, Yale doesn't get the ball up and down the, the floor, so uh, they're looking at a 66 possession game, which is ranking uh, in the mid 250s. So I, I think this may be a lower scoring game. If you're if you're betting, I'd probably take the under on this. Uh, but I just don't think Yale has enough offensive weapons. Um, but again, they, they do play some uh, pretty stout defense, and they've got a couple kids that can score the ball. Uh, but I think this is a classic case of uh, mid-major. I mean, maybe you can't even call uh, uh, the idea a mid-major. I, I just don't think there's enough there for Kentucky to uh, to get hurt. I think this is a Kentucky win in that 15 to 18 point range. By the by the way, by the way, if this is a game where Yale wants to play so slow, we should not be deferring to the way they want to play. Oh, we should be, no. yeah, yeah. We should be speeding the game up even more. And bold words by you saying that they don't like to shoot the three. They don't shoot the three well because I have seen in my lifetime, I don't know how many mid majors come to Rupp and just absolutely shoot the lights out when they were like Michigan is a really terrible shoot three point shooting team and they shot like 40% from three against Kentucky and we made more for the first time maybe ever, but I don't believe for a second a team that's a mid-major 
not shoot the three well, won't be Steph Curry and Rupp. They're 34.5% as a team. So, I mean, m- maybe they go crazy and hit 10 out of 20. They will. Yeah. Easiest, easiest bet of my life. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, Shay. I, I'm going to have this bet with you one-on-one. What's the over-under on the number of three-pointers that Yale hits? Because whatever number you throw out there. I go over 13. Over 13. Over no. 13. No, they're not going to be close. No. I, they're, they're, they'll be lucky at seven. I think they'll be like Jake and Toppin. They won't. They will be really good <laughs> in the first half. And they'll suck in the second half. All right, we're we'll, you know, we'll gonna bourbon, bourbon drink in New York on it. Oh nice. my god! Yeah. Oh, you're I'll gonna. Say, get, it's a lot of bourbon. I'll say <laughs> Kentucky. I'll say Kentucky wins by fifteen to eighteen, uh, or you know, fifteen to twenty as well. And something to monitor here is that you saw improvements between uh, Bellerman and the uh, Michigan game. Yep. They're having a full week of practice in between uh in, in between Michigan and uh and Yale and then it's I believe it's Yale right to UCLA. So this it's is week, almost two weeks that? of practice with one game. Right. Two weeks of practice, so yeah. You're seeing, you know, this is you know, getting close to, you know, what Cal likes to say, can't cow time. So this is the time you would like to see uh, major improvement from from this team. You when, you should. When and school's I think, out, and I, I think so far goals. it's kind of positive. Like we're kind of trending toward the defensively we're doing well, offensively we're doing better. Especially That's, offensively, yeah. We didn't we didn't look anemic for once against oh Michigan. Oh my god! We look like we're actually not because you know how much a Kentucky basketball looks like. You know, we're running action on one side of the floor with two players and everybody else is just kind of standing there. It did not look like that most of the time against Michigan, which was great to see. Guys, we are having a long show. Let's talk about UCLA real quick, and then we'll bounce out of here. So, what's your thoughts about the Bruins? I, you know, we're going to be in New York City for this game. This is a pretty decent team. How do we match up with them? I'm excited to see the Severe Wheeler uh, Tiger Campbell battle at point guard, but Kaysen's uh, gonna Kaysen's uh, gonna have to defend Amari Bailey for close to 40 minutes. So that will be uh, to me that's the battle to, to watch along with uh, I guess it's gonna probably be Toppin on. Uh, I mean, Hawkins, uh, yeah, Hawkins, yeah, yeah. That's a hard matchup. I, I, yeah. I, I I'm kind of big on him. He is he works so hard. So you better be ready to play. He, he's going to get his points. He's a good player, but he also is a good player in the Pac-12. He isn't overly athletic. I don't know how many players this season he's played that are as athletic as Jacob Toppin. And granted, already this season, Jacob Toppin has seen way more talented, more athletic players than Jaime Jaquez. Jacob Toppin has seen eight more athletic power forwards in the SEC than J- Jaime Jaquez. Great player, just not sure, you know, how much it's going to bother Kentucky. The matchup that I want to see, because it's very easy for it to be our Hunter Dickinson moment, is for Oscar Shibway to battle with Adembona, because Oscar Shibway can absolutely put Adembona in hell this game. This is where we could probably win the game, and I always say we don't shouldn't rely on Oscar that much, but I just don't see how Adembona can guard Oscar at this point. In his career, you know, Adembona may be twenty something years old as a freshman, but this is going to be one of the one of the more dominant big men 
this season, and Adam, Adam Boda cannot stop fouling. He just cannot stop fouling. So Bona does this, have to. Does doesn't Bona have a couple inches on Oscar? Technically, but I saw him come in for his Kentucky visit with Chris Livingston, and he barely looked taller than Chris Livingston. So I'm wondering how much they're making really? up those that six ten stat because he looks kind of small. And like I said, he cannot play without fouling, and he has not looked great this season at all. Like he's had one or two plays, like a handful of plays every game where he looks really good. But on the whole, he's not a starting center caliber player in the Pac-12 yet. He'll be a good player down the road, maybe. But uh, Oscar should be able to eat, you know. Oh, and I want to watch Kingsley play against uh, Bona too. No, oh, yeah, Kingsley's better. Kingsley's better than Bona by far. Right. Hey, hey, Michael, your buddy is coming to the game with us. He's a Bruins. What's his thoughts about it? So, um, he's a UCLA grad. He's not just a fan. So, he, he's he got some street cred to him. Um, uh, he, he's been talking a little smack. Ooh. Um, as well he should, because I would be disappointed if he didn't. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be multiple wagers um, throughout <laughs> the game. So uh, that that could get dangerous. He, here's here's what I kind of worry about. I, historically, when teams have had like a star player, Kentucky for the most part does a good job of uh, scheming against that and minimizing the impact of that to the game. With UCLA, they've got five guys in double figures, and pretty much everybody can shoot. And that's kind of scary to me because um, I'm not sure if Kentucky like keys on somebody, focuses on uh, taking a player out, but like anybody that's going to be on the floor for UCLA is going to be able to score, and mo- probably at least three, sometimes four out of five of those players are going to be able to shoot from anywhere. That that is always nerve wracking to me. Because if you've got a star player, you can take him out of the game. You can knock him off his rhythm um, and make a lesser player beat you. I, I don't necessarily know that there are a lot of lesser players for UCLA. I, I think they play really well as a team. And it's it's teams like this that I think uh, oftentimes Kentucky is going to struggle with. So right now, this is basically a toss-up. Ken Palm gives a slight advantage to Kentucky. Uh, with a, a, a one-point win and I think a, a 58% uh, win probability. Um, you know, we'll, Oh, my goodness. We'll, I love it. We'll, we'll see what that is, but th- this is a game. If I had to predict an outcome, and, I mean, what the hell, we should. I'm going to predict this game goes into overtime. I'm going to predict Kentucky still wins. And this is, to Shay's point, a game where Oscar will absolutely feast. This is a game where Oscar can have 25 and 20 if he wants. He needs to. I mean, if, if there's a one game that he wants to feast, this is it. They don't have anybody who can guard him. Um, they have, again, Adem Bona starting at center, and they have Makatian coming off the bench to, to back him up. So at Kentucky's best, their roster, their pieces are better than UCLA's. The question is, how often is Kentucky at their best? Will they bring their A game? Keep in mind, UCLA does need to travel 3,000 miles, uh, a lot a farther lot. than Kentucky Kentucky needs to do. Um, I, I, I just, it, it is a toss-up game. 
knowing Kentucky, but Kentucky should be the better team at the end of the season because of the inside play. So Oscar's got two weeks to kind of get back to form, and I need to see his conditioning get better by then. And, you know, if he wants to bring it that game, that's the game to bring it, in my opinion. John, give us your take on it. I'd say Kentucky by five to six. But that's going to be a good game. Two evenly matched opponents. I'd give Kentucky the edge. I think uh, Kaysen will do his thing. And uh, you know, they got to be careful not to force feed the ball to Oscar. Because like I said earlier, when, when that happens, uh, they tend to lose. Yeah, his point should be on rebounds. Because yes. I don't know anybody on that team that can block him out. Um, even Hamehaka has six rebounds a game. Not a particularly big player. Jacob Toppin's bigger than him. Um, so you know, how let's is he see what as happens. a defender? How is he as a defender? Because Toppin could have a, 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 a an advantage there. On oh, he's terrible. He's, he, he's got to step, he, step out. Yeah, Jaime is not very good as a defender. It's just yeah. one of those physical limitation, athletic limitation type of things. Still a great college player. Kind of like Absolutely. the player that I think that Chris Livingston could become. That makes sense. Yeah, you well, know, Jaime will sneak sneak in on it. He could possibly sneak in on an NBA team just to be like you know an instant impact guy, not a role player that plays defense, uh, or like you know just kind of hit shots when he needs to. But he's not. I don't. I don't think that he's going to be able to stop Jacob Toppin. Well, Toppin is well. Uh, Toppin will have to attack the rim that game to get uh, yeah. him in foul trouble. That's going to be yeah. the key in my. Don't settle yep. for the jumpers. Attack the rim, guard, uh, Hawkins for sure. Guys, great show tonight. I predict the Cats are going to win in New York, eighty-two to eighty. It's going to be a close game. Great show tonight, John. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter, and my handle is Perrine at Perrine Stewart. P-E-R-R-I-N-E and then Stuart with a W. And I highly recommend following John on Twitter. He has a lot of great tweets. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Arizona T-Y-J-O. Guys, Shay and Michael, where are they going to find you guys? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at A-B-O-F-S-A-R. That's A-B-H-A-V-S-A-R. Um, I go by Shay. I'm out here in sunny Southern California. And I will, do want to mention, if you guys haven't heard already, uh, the podcast has a new Twitter. That's at B-Ball Buzz Pod. Uh, B-Ball Buzz, that's B-U-Z-Z, pod. So definitely reach out to us with your feedback, any questions you have, anything you want to talk about. Um, again, we are going to be in MSG next week uh, to watch the UCLA game. We're probably going to be at um, Jack was it Jack Dempsey's on Saturday all day, kind of uh, kicking it with the uh, Kentucky fans, and, and then heading over to the game. So we would really love to meet you guys. Really love to see you guys. And guys, you can find me at mg simmons fifty two eighty. That's at mg s i m m o n s five two eight zero here in the Mile High City. Can't wait to get to the mecca of basketball. It's going to be my first time at the Garden, and uh, get to do it with with my boys. What could be better? New York, New York. I cannot wait. I love the Garden. As always, we appreciate your support. Until next episode, keep sipping bourbon and go Cats.